Hello everyone and welcome to the Motos and Friends podcast brought to you by Yamaha. My name is Arthur Coldwells. Have you seen the Yamaha Sport Heritage range of classically styled performance motorcycles? I've been riding the gorgeous looking Yamaha XSR 900 and loving its incredible do-it-all performance. Our featured motorcycle this week is one of the lesser-known ADV bikes, the Aprilia 660 Tuareg. This good-looking middleweight machine seems as though it's often overlooked, so Nick DeSena chose to take a Tuareg 660 to the recent Alpine Stars rally in Big Bear, California. He rode it pretty hard across a variety of trails for two days, and he tells us why he thinks that this bike might deserve a place in your garage. Our snippet this week comes to you from Broman, B.H. Roman. You can check out his YouTube channel at Broman Brapsody. He lives in South Carolina and his moto passion takes him on a yearly cross-country trip in some manic time. This year he's doing it on his Indian motorcycle and he's raising money again for the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation, also known as the Ride for Kids. Last year, he raised $12,000, and of course his goal this year is a whole lot more. In our second segment, TJ Adams chats with Ed Stiley of Motomachines.com. Ed's dad approached him about starting a moto business when Ed was still in college, and kind of on a whim, he said yes. Turns out his dad knew what he was doing, and Ed is also pretty switched on himself. Motomachines.com has thousands of motorcycle product SKUs and caters to over 700 models of motorcycles. So Ed knows what he's talking about when it comes to aftermarket parts. So from all of us here at Ultimate Motorcycling, we hope you enjoy this episode. The Yamaha name stands for a heritage of motorcycle performance and classic styling. Visit your dealer to find the 2023 Yamaha Sport Heritage bike for you. Like the XSR 900, where timeless design meets the sheer power of a CP3 power plant. Or the XSR 700, built to be customized with modern classic looks and cross-plane concept twin performance. For all things Yamaha Sport Heritage, visit YamahaMotorsports.com or see for yourself at your local dealer today. The 2023 Aprilia Touareg 660, which technically has not changed since the bike was introduced as a 2022 model year. And we rode it in uh, Sardinia, which is a happy little Mediterranean islands just off the coast of Italy. But that was our first experience with it. And now finally, we're getting some experience with it on home turf, no less. So when you say it's uh, it's unchanged, runs the same 660 engine as found in the other machines. Yeah, correct. So are there any are there any real differences? I mean, what are the differences between this 660 parallel twin and this bike and the other ones? Yeah, I mean, there's a handful of changes uh, between the two. So it's it's better to describe it as derived from the E659cc parallel twin engines that are found in the RS660 and the Tuono 660, respectively. 
Um, by and large, they're quite similar. So they have similar characteristics, but things like internal gearing and final drive gearing are significantly changed. It's also a different air box, different tuning, uh, things of that nature. So that that really does change the, the power band. And overall, it's meant to prioritize low and mid-range power that an adventure bike would need more, more often than, you know, high revving sort of hijinks that are that are fit for aggressive road riding and racetrack riding. Um, you know, there's internal changes like a new camshaft, new valve overlap, things like that. So it's not quite the copy and paste job that we might think. But by and large, it, you know, it is the same, um, you know, 659cc parallel twin engine. You know, if you were to put them side by side, they would look identical. Same cases, all that good stuff. However, the power is different. So uh, peak horsepower is uh, claimed at, at 80, 80 peak horsepower at 92.50 RPM. And then you have 50 foot, 52 foot-pounds of torque. And realistically, that horsepower comes in earlier. Like I said, Aprilia wanted to prioritize that low and mid-range power. And that's what we're seeing here. So it does sacrifice a bit of that top end that you might see in some of the other bikes. And that's all well and good. Because realistically, it has similar characteristics to the other bike. It just really emphasizes that, that immediate punch that you really need on an adventure bike when you're off-roading, for example. So you can get you know, immediate power response if you're in a tricky situation, low speed, very technical stuff like that. But the big thing about this bike is that it never overwhelms me as a rider. You know, it's it has plenty of power to cruise along on the freeway and freeway plus speeds and it do it comfortably so the engine doesn't feel stressed. Um, but then when you actually start having fun in the canyons, it still has a very zesty personality. It's a, an exciting little engine. And then all of that, that tractable power delivery really comes into its own off-road because the fact right. that the, the engine is friendly and not intimidating allows me to really get into its power band, use it more aggressively and not be fearful of it. You know, that's not something I can say of a lot of uh, adventure bikes, especially the leader class motorcycles, where you can introduce a lot of wheel spin and you have to be very respectful of the power. In this case, sure. I don't want to say you don't have to respect it, but you can have fun with it uh, to a much higher degree, uh, you know, in my opinion. Um, you know, one of the other things that, that Aprilia did to this engine in converting it for adventure duty is go to a low profile oil pan. And so that really helps accommodate the, you know, respectable 9.4 inches of ground clearance overall. And that goes for any Touareg, whether it's the, the upspec, uh, model <clears throat> that really just comes in a different colorway. So there's no mechanical differences to be clear. And again, because it's in a different platform, you know, it has different different air air box, you know, longer intake ducts, things like that. But the biggest change you're really going to experience and what is really going to drive home the point that this is an engine that has been tuned for its specific purpose is the fact that it just has lower gearing. Again, that's really going to help you get into that torque curve much easier, much faster, and, and allow you to put power down to the ground um, much more expeditiously, we'll say. Uh, there is a $200 uh, 
optional quick shifter unit. So it's an up-down quick shifter. Okay. Having used it in Sardinia, you know, works as intended. The gearbox overall is smooth. It can just, you know, be that that tiny bit of uh we'll say we'll say notchy in certain circumstances. Um but you know, other than that, you know, fair play to the gearbox. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the engine in the nutshell. I, I do think for me, my riding style, things like that, it is kind of in that sweet spot where again, you're not getting overwhelmed with power and it's enough power to keep you occupied and be versatile in a lot of different applications. So like I mentioned, you know, touring is capable of it. Obviously, a leader class motorcycle in the ADV segment, or you know, even something like the 890 Adventure engine or Ducati's Desert X, those are going to have a little more puff and power. So, in the touring category, they can probably tick another box or two. And then, as you get into the, those leader class bikes, they're just going to have an extra leg up with you know performance and and highway ability. But when you start getting into the technical stuff, the tractability and user friendliness of this engine, that's where something like the Touareg 660 and even the Yamaha T7 are really going to dominate the conversation uh, because of their user friendliness. And again, parallel twin engines, you know, uh, not boasting as much horsepower. So they're just easier to wrangle. Um, and then it's just a fun engine. So you know, I'm not saying it, it's not that classic, you know, motorcycle, motorcycle journal thing where we're like, oh, no, you should always get, you know, the lowest power bike, you know, kind of climb the ladder sort of deal. Um, it, it, it is a middleweight engine and middleweight engines tend to hit that sweet spot in a lot of sure. ways. But, you know, you do you and you got to factor, well, is touring going to be my priority or... I really going to be focused on, you know, off-road action, you know, things that don't require me to, to go long distance. And that's where, you know, stuff like the, the Torx 660s power and the 890s power that, that starts to push you in that off-road direction. Whereas you're like, Hey, I'm going to be doing thousands of miles with some off-roading. And that's where, you know, GSs, Africa twins, leader class bikes really start to, uh, you know, color that side of the conversation. But that's the engine in a nutshell. So there we go. Yeah. The the fact that it's a, you know, a smaller compact engine must mean that the overall dimensions of the bike are just a lot more manageable. So for somebody like me, who's, who's really a novice off-road, um, the, the thought of this bike is a lot more attractive to me than, you know, a big BMW GS or, or you know, the big KTM or what have you. As much as I like all that big power, just the thought of riding these big, heavy bikes just, you know, off-road scares me. But something like this really seems a lot more um, approachable. Would you say that's true? Is, it, is there a lot of physical difference between these bikes? Yeah, absolutely. When you get into the leader class motorcycles or adventure motorcycles specifically, they tend to grow quite large. And the Touareg 660 really does fall in line with uh, the middleweight design brief. Uh, right. It isn't okay. as physically imposing as one of the leader class motorcycles. And, and again, those tend to be bigger displacement, 
they're going to have a larger fuel capacity. Uh, that means the bike is going to be wider, taller, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, heavier. So that's not the best thing off-road. Right. The Torig has a couple tricks up its sleeve. You already hit it one. It is a parallel twin engine. So it allows the bike just to be packaged and designed in a much more svelte manner. Uh, there's also another thing that we need to consider with the Touareg where it'll, it distributes its fuel load towards the middle of the motorcycle. If you actually look at images of the bike, you'll see the fuel tank and it sort of bulges out towards the top. But as it moves down, that's still the fuel tank. So they're, they're really dealing with um, center of gravity and mass centralization much better than some other adventure bikes on the market. Uh, for example, if we look at the Ducati Desert X or the 850 GS, you know, things with a more conventional styled fuel tank where that fuel load is, is distributed much higher, that creates a higher center of gravity and in some cases can be top heavy. Now, I wouldn't necessarily say that about the Desert X, but I would say that about something like the 850, the BMW 850 GS. Right. And with the Touareg, you know, it is executing much better mass centralization. So weight distribution is a lot better and that contributes to handling factors, uh, things like that, that we'll touch on in a couple of minutes. There's also another really key factor about the Touareg that sets it apart from its competitors where it has that sort of scalloped seat. And on paper, you go down to the happy spec sheet that we have on ultimatemotorcycling.com. And it'll, it'll say that it's a 33.85 inch seat. Um, again, on paper, that's a fairly, fairly high seat height, not out of the ordinary for the middleweight adventure bike class or leader bike adventure bike class for that matter. There are low and high seat options as well. Uh, but again, think about the packaging of a parallel twin engine. It's a very narrow, compact packaging. And that allows the chassis to be narrow. And then with that scallop seat at with my 32 inch inseam and a bit of suspension switch, which is inherent to the spike, I'm able to, able to get my boots on the deck on each side. Now I'm not flat footing, but I'm able to touch down. And that's really important when you're in sort of a, a slow going rocky situation, or maybe you've got hung up on a hill climb or a rut or something like that to get a boot down and just be able to get stabilization, you know, fairly quickly. And in your case, when you're saying, you know, I'm a novice off-road rider, you, that goes a long way to be able to, you know, extend the tripod, so to speak, and get some, get some extra support. So when we look sure. at the class overall, you know, things like the KTM 890, Desert X, uh, Yamaha T7, BMW, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think the Toreg does stand out in the sense that that scallop seat along with that really compact packaging allows uh, not only better mass centralization than some of the other bikes in the category, um, but it also makes the bike much more manageable. And I've you know hinted at the, the benefits on the handling side and things like that. Um, the only other bike in the class or bikes, I should say, in the class that can speak to some of the same properties are those coming from the Austrian manufacturer, uh, KTM, and then also its sister company, Husqvarna. Um, so with the 890, that's one of the few motorcycles, 890 and then Norden 901 platforms. That's one of the, some of the few bikes that have the 
the extended fuel tank, the teardrop fuel tank, we'll call it, um, where the fuel is distributed super low. Uh, that improves center of gravity, uh, you know, so you're not carrying fuel up high, which is never a good thing. Um, and so the, you know, the Austrian and let's call it Swedish, right? Yes. Yeah, the Austrian and Swedish brands. Well, they're Austrian now, but but yes, they have Swedish yeah. heritage. Yes, absolutely. Historically, Husqvarna has, has been Swedish, but those bikes have uh, a significant advantage over some of the other competitors because of that fuel tank design distributes a, a significant amount of the fuel to the lowest point of the motorcycle possible. Um, so again, you know, this class is is heavily populated there's a lot to kind of pick through and there's some advantages and disadvantages with each motorcycle as we as we've already sort of hinted on um you know it, it's give and take like anything else but yeah the packaging really does accommodate that and i think the Torag in particular um excels in the sense that it's not as big it's not it doesn't come across as being a handful in a lot of ways and then it also has that scallop seat design that really is uh, accommodated by the fuel tank design and, and everything else. Um, you know, so, so overall comfort wise, which I think would be a good thing to touch on at the moment, um, you're, you're sort of sat into the bike a little bit more and it, and it's a quite comfortable motorcycle. There's plenty of leg room, nice casual reach to the bars, but that really allows you to manipulate the bike and control it much easier than say um you know oddly enough i rode this bike and then also jumped on a norden 901 um which has a radically different riding position uh you know back to back and i would say that i'm more partial to the Touareg. it just has a much more we'll say conventional off-road riding position okay uh, when you're actually standing up on the foot pegs and needing to chuck it around on the trail Right. And then when you're, you know, hitting highway miles or riding on the street, you know, it has a, you know, typical neutral riding position that's, that's very amenable uh, to chowing down those miles. It has the uh, non-adjustable windscreen in the front, um, you know, that provides plenty of, uh, plenty of wind protection. And according to one of my esteemed colleagues, when we were in, uh, in Italy, he noticed that the fronts of the motorcycle resembles the pope's hat you know anything about aprilia as a as a company uh, they are italian there's a little nod to the vatican. the vatican is there and so you know i i don't think it's a coincidence by any means <laughs> right right okay so so I, I mean so far it sounds really promising um in terms of sort of suspension and its ability to actually ride off-road i mean is this more of a street oriented suspension or, or is this truly a 50 50 kind of motorcycle or you know if you had to sort of um you know put a ratio to it what what how how capable off-road would you say this bike is suspension wise uh extremely capable now okay. uh, i'll or sort of you know cap each end of the market for for people here so okay the bike comes in at a curb weight of 449 pounds and as we mentioned before there's a couple different design initiatives to help weight distribution mass centralization and so it carries its 449 pounds really well 
Now it is smack in the middle between the Yamaha uh, Tenere 7700, uh, Yamaha C7, and the KTM 890 Adventure in terms of weight. When you say smack in the middle, so the Yamaha is lighter, the KTM is heavier? Correct, and only by a few pounds. Um, okay. They're all within earshot of each other. Okay. You know, going back to the suspension, in terms of outright travel on paper, you're dealing with 9.4 inches of travel. Um, it is fully adjustable. And you have a, a fully adjustable inverted fork and a linkage-assisted shock. Um, so the, the other thing to consider is that uh, the shock has a, a remote spring preload adjuster. That's always super handy, so you're not having to break out uh, you know, spanner wrenches and deal with a conventional lock and collar system. It just makes adjustment much easier. And if you're carrying passengers, adding luggage, taking it off, Trust me, this is the type of thing that you want. And any bike that has that is good. Ducati does. It's got to be imperative on a dual sport bike, I should think. Yeah. And it really depends on the type of bike uh, that it is and its intention. And sure. without going in a huge tangent, the Ducati Desert X also features remote preload adjustment, super handy, where the KTM 890 Adventure R uh, does not. Now, if you talk just raw suspension, I would say that the KTM K, KTM 890 Adventure R's WP suspension is probably the best in class right now for off-road riding. Okay. Um, I would say that their WPA or sorry, it is not WP Apex. That's on the base model. The 890 Adventure R uses the WP Explorer suspension. Okay. okay. Anyway, it's really really good especially when you're riding off-road i it's tough for me to say that the middleweight adventure class has better suspension than that right now however there are some some trade-offs with the 890 it's not as good as a road handling bike but the prilia does a lot with its 9.4 inches of travel okay and that kind of goes into chassis design as well you know the when we were in Sardinia, we rode some fire roads. We did a little bit off roading. It, you know, wasn't as aggressive. We'll say um, it was fun, plenty of fun, and probably ticked all the boxes for what the average adventure rider is going to be doing. You know, just going down trails, things like that. I did have the opportunity to take the Touareg 660 up near Big Bear, California, and there's just sort of a plethora of off road riding in that area. Everything from, you know, freeway lane uh, wide, or I shouldn't say freeway lane, more like just freeway wide, you know, forest route trails through the national forest up to straight up single track. So you can find anything out there and, you know, get stuck out there too. It's great. Um, so at any rate, Let's finally talk about the suspension. Overall, I'm super pleased with the KYB suspension that's on the Aprilia Touareg 660. Uh, there isn't an upset model. Everything's fully adjustable. It just, it is what it is. And it works really well in pretty much all conditions. Having set it up for me and my riding style, weight, et cetera, et cetera, I think it does really well with bump absorption, especially those hard hits. Uh, the bike doesn't deflect it's not a nervous handling motorcycle by any stretch of the imagination. So it really does track well through, you know, what we'll call um, 
you know, uh, rocky conditions of the sort of fist sized rocks that you can get up in the San Bernardino mountains. So, you know, kind of just like a rock garden sort of deal. Um, and at high speed at wells, it, it really handles, you know, some, some solid hits to the chin nicely. Um, and if you start jumping it, things like that, when you bottom the bike out, just, you know, jumping a 450 pound object, it, it's going to happen depending on how hard and how flat you land. <laughs> you're you're going to use that suspension. And so if you do find the bump stop, it's not a very terrifying event. Um, you know, the other thing that's really helping you out with the off-road side of things is the fact that you're running tubeless 21 inch and 18 inch wheels. So it's not compromising and going for a 19, which some of the leader class adventure motorcycles do. Um, if you're really pointed at, at the trail and you want to hit the trails earnestly, the 21 inch and 18 inch wheel, you know, varied motorcycles are going to perform a little bit better. They're just going to be able to roll over objects and, and tackle obstacles a bit better. Sure. Um, these are wire spoke wheels, by the way. Right. So again, they can take a mean hit, which uh, mm -hmm. they did. <laughs> it's very interesting. You know, you can, you can get caught out going off-road and you, especially in a dusty section where, you know, you're going high speed and you hit something and you just go, oh, that's a flat. Or you're like, eh, I'm really sorry, wheels. Um, but no, they're, they're quite tough. So there's that. Um, they do come with a Pirelli Scorpion Rally STR rubber. Uh, from the onset it's a really good kind of mix condition adv tire super chunky um there are some downsides with that tire in in particular where the front does not like any wet or slick conditions it really loses its, its edge grip um you know in sand or mud or things like that uh, that's what that tire is sort of known for however you're on dry hard pack stuff or you know any sort of dirt with actual grip then that rear hooks up like well it hooks up i was going to start swearing but it hooks up quite well so you can tell that i'm <laughs> emphatic about that right. and then on the street um that that pirelli works works incredibly well um so you get a pretty impressive amount of grip especially when you look at the tread pattern which is quite blocky so uh, the confidence on the street is high. Um, yeah. Now, kind of circling back to the suspension behavior on the street, you know, it, it is a lanky motorcycle. We are dealing with, you know, over nine inches travel. So that is getting up there in terms of the the more off-road oriented, or we'll just say the off-road oriented end of the spectrum. Uh, it does have real off-road chops. And, uh, you know, it's, it's street mannerisms are on high. I feel that the the Torex 660 and probably the Ducati Desert X are the best road handling motorcycles outside of the the models that are straight up more sport touring oriented. So say like the base model 890 Adventure. Um, but even then, I would say that the Aprilia chassis is really indicative of Aprilia as a brand and a street bike brand because a lot of that DNA is showing through. The thing handles very nicely. It's it turns in with precision. You can start riding it aggressively. You know, treating it like a supermoto or, or even you know, riding, 
your knee down not that you're dragging me on the street on an adventure bike but you get the idea yeah 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 um and, and it's a very stable motorcycle as well and, and a lot of these things not a lot of these things these these characteristics translate to its off-road mannerisms uh, again we do have to tie this back you know the positive handling attributes combined with its packaging and size make it a a motorcycle that you can really manipulate off-road in those tricky conditions and it builds confidence now its size and its power again when you start kind of going into that touring conversation that's where those leader bikes are going to have a leg up uh, compared to a true middleweight like this but this bike is still capable of it those bikes will just excel in those categories when the going actually gets rough you need to do some off-road riding. That's where something like the Touareg 660, Yamaha T7, 890 Adventure, Takati Desert X, that's where they're going to pipe up a lot harder and probably right. be a lot more successful. Right. Um, so, okay. yeah, I mean, the only downside with the, the steel tubular frame here, it's not really a downside, is the... The frame itself, you know, it has something like a 460 pound load capacity. Um, but the subframe is welded to the frame. And I see that's an actual choice on the engineering department's uh, um, side. Basically, if it wasn't welded, that would compromise the chassis stiffness and feedback that they were looking for out of the chassis. If you just went to a conventional bolted uh, sub, which has an advantage in the sense that if you crash off road, um, you can swap it out easily. Yeah. You're not changing a frame or in other words, totaling a bike. Um, so there's that. Okay. So hardcore off-road ADV guys and gals might not like that aspect of it. Okay. But let's be real. Um, how furious are you actually riding off-road with your Toreg 660? At a certain yeah. point, you do have to draw a line and just be like, look, I'm on an adventure bike. I can, as capable as this thing is, you know, the Yamaha T7, the, the Tenere, the, the Norda 901, et cetera, et cetera. Um, specifically, the Norda 901 Expedition, that's the one with the updated WP Explorer uh, suspension, which is superior off-road to the base model. Um that's that's one of those things where you go okay yeah that's kind of like one of the few black spots on on the bike's chassis i i see the 890 adventure r as the the champion's choice for absolute hardcore off-roading because of its its off-road capabilities now it sacrifices a lot of road manners to achieve that goal exactly that that seems to be the hill that the, the motorcycle industry has is still trying to ascend, um, you know, in terms of bridging the gap. But bikes such as the Touareg 660 and the Ducati Desert X are getting very close. I mean, its road behavior is excellent and its off-road behavior is excellent. So in terms of hardcore, just straight up off-roading, I think the Touareg 660 is extremely capable, Okay, uh, you know, up to the, up to the, the level of the 890 Adventure R, the 890 Adventure R, because of its suspension travel, it has an additional suspension travel, and then the aggressiveness of the engine, 
it is the more aggressive bike and it's going to appeal to that more aggressive personality type and its performance ceiling is just a bit higher. Um, but the Toreg, again, smaller bike, smaller packaging, more confidence building, arguably you'd <laughs> be getting to the same place. Okay. Uh, just, you know, without as much sweat, maybe. Um, so like I said, in, in my opinion, without jumping into a de facto you know, comparison, the 890 and its suspension are sort of the the, the cock of the walk, we'll say. But right. um, the Torig is insanely capable. It's not a slouch by any means. Whereas, like, you look at the BMW 850 GS and it's a road bike. I mean, I, I love this thing off road. So there's that. I think the major or the, the main obvious competitor to the Tuareg 660 is going to be the Tenere 700, the Yamaha. Although they're so very close, obviously, in terms of size and weight and motor, is that a fair comparison or are they really two different levels of bike? It's a fair comparison and people are going to be comparing those two motorcycles and they have and they will. Um, it's tough because when we say middleweight, it's the same thing that we observe with the middleweight naked bike comparison, where you could be talking about a Ninja 650 or a Yamaha MT-09. And those two things are pretty far apart in terms of performance. They really are. The, yeah. the middleweight adventure bike class does equalize a little bit more. Okay. Um, whereas the Tenere 700 or the, the T7 and the Touareg 660 are actual middleweights, whereas the 890 and Ducati Desert X are not. And right. the, the Norden 901 as well. Yeah, they're sort of upper, upper middleweights. Yeah. Is it a lot more sophisticated motorcycle than the Tenere, or are they really very comparable? It, no, and, and unfortunately, they are sort of in different strata. Okay. There's still advantages to the T7. Cool. Uh, it is more affordable. It is more simplistic. Right. Um, and, you know, you're going to have to look into things like, well, parts availability. You know, Yamaha mm. dealers are a dime a dozen. Right. And, think, you know, that that's a consideration for a lot of riders. Um, the Yamaha T7's power plant is not just proven, but I, I would say a reliability gold standard. Um, obviously it's not the same thing that's in the MT-07. There are modifications following the same design brief as the modifications from the RS-660 to the Touareg 660. Um, but what sets the Touareg 660 apart from the T7 is its sophistication with the variety of ride modes. Uh, you have four different preset ride modes as well as a fully customizable mode. You can even go in further and start adjusting uh, four-level traction control uh, three-level engine braking management, uh, throttle map adjustment, and then you have two-level ABS. Um, uh, now, it, it does not use um, IMU-assisted ABS or TC systems. So this is wheel speed sensors with preset algorithms. Um, and that's really to save money and keep the bike uh, more affordable you know it's msrp in the colorway that we wrote it which is the martian red uh, essentially it's one of the base prices there's also a, a yellow color that's at twelve thousand two hundred ninety nine dollars the yamaha is a few hundred dollars cheaper okay um but it lacks uh you know more sophisticated ride modes it lacks uh dedicated off-road uh, 
traction control. It just doesn't have traction control. And it also lacks dedicated uh, ABS modes, um, you know, a street ABS mode and then an off-road ABS mode. And for me, having that ABS, that off-road ABS mode is a bit of a godsend when you're in tricky conditions. Say, say you're on a trail, you're railing along and something spooks you, you got to grab a handful of, of front brake and, you know, start nursing the rear brake at that point in the off-road setting, the rear brake is disabled. And I think it does really well, despite the fact that it's not an IMU assisted system. Uh, arguably it's more simplistic system to help keep pricing down, but it still functions very well. Uh, TC is, is tractable. And as you start clicking off down the line, it becomes less and less restrictive. Um, I kept TC in level one and it really, in my opinion, prevents that high RPM wheel spin. So when you just whack the throttle on out of a corner and you know, if TC wasn't there, you'd start banging rev limiter and it would just sort of get into this wheel spinning madness. It kind of just takes that edge off. Um, the only downside to TC is <laughs> starting on a hill in loose rocky conditions. It says, hey, we're not going to do wheel spin. And I'm like, bike, I just want to move forward. Come on. <laughs> but um, Okay. Yeah. So the T7 and the Toreg 660, they are in the same conversation. The problem is the T7 isn't as sophisticated. On the upshot, it's cheaper. And the T7 is absolutely proven in terms of reliability. Uh, you know, the, the thing is bulletproof. You could. Yeah. And the Aprilia reliability and availability and, and Piaggio group as a whole, they are improving in terms of availability. Uh, you know, the bikes have had some, some, uh, recalls and things like that. You know, any, any new platform is going to have a, a couple of teething issues. The Torg is working those things out, if not worked all of them out by now. Um, but that said, the reality is you can't you can't really beat the product or sorry part availability of a Japanese manufacturer. It, it is the dominant force in the market. So when you're looking at the Aprilia, the KTM, the Ducati, the Husqvarna, obviously a Yamaha dealer is going to be easier to find than those. Um, and depending on where you live, that's a consideration. That said. If you're any, near any major city, that's not a consideration and you straight up don't care because you can find any of those brands and their dealers and have access to parts and not like ever think about it again. Yeah, sort of the last thing to touch on is, um, uh, you know, the brakes uses a conventional brake setup with axial, axial mounted calipers and, uh, you know, the same for the master cylinder. Uh, so that does two things. One, that is a, a cost, weight, and braking performance issue. So on the cost side, axial stuff, you know, old school braking system, that's cheaper. Okay, so Aprilia gets to save a little bit of money there. Weight, it's actually not as heavy as your radial mounted systems. Radial mounted requires a different bracket. It's more aluminum, yada, yada, yada. The braking performance is something that I, I would like to bring up because it, it is a thought when you're talking about dual sport and ADV motorcycles. Um, radial setups tend to be more aggressive and they can, you know, long story short, you can get more bite. You can be, 
subject to a, a much more harsher penalty if you're really grabbing that front break. Axials take that edge off. And in an off-road capacity, low grip situations, do you want superbike level braking? No. And go with no. Um, you know, we see this strategy playing out on things like the Ducati Desert X and even the 890 and Husqvarna platforms where they do use radial mounted braking systems. Um, they do use radial mounted braking calipers, but up top, they have an axial master cylinder. And the biggest component to braking performance, uh, quite honestly, is your master cylinder. You know, everyone's like, oh, we need Brembo Stylema calipers. We need, you know, the best of the best in calipers. The reality is the thing controlling the calipers has more impact on what you're going to be getting out of that part anyway. So braking performance overall is quite good. That lack of a harsh initial bite is not going to catch people out in low grip situations. Braking power is, you know, more than ample for the size, weight, and style of this motorcycle. And the, the rear brake, uh, I would say, at least on our tester, it has a lot more sweep than I would like. Um, the sort of upshot to that is that it has a very soft initial bite. And it does build pressure pretty quickly. And I use a lot of rear brake off-road just to sort of change trajectory where I'm just skidding and essentially just steering the bike in a different direction. Um, and especially at mid, mid to low speed, I do that a lot. High speed, I'm probably focused on not crashing. But um, yeah, you know, uh, that sort of rounds out the Aprilia. Um, in a lot of ways so sounds like a really great very very capable machine yes it is um and i am super stoked to finally ride it at home because the problem with riding motorcycles in you know different uh countries and conditions um you're not on your home turf so while something may perform very well over yonder i want to try things in the situations that I'm more used to. Okay. So being in Big Bear, California, where you have a lot of, you know, typical California rockiness and sand and, and, uh, you know, drier conditions, um, that's what I'm used to. And this thing, I was super impressed with it when I was overseas. And now that I'm home, I'm super stoked with it again. Um, you know, there are only a couple downsides with the bike overall. We were talking about the engine. And this is something that I forgot to mention. It does cast a good bit of heat. We noticed that on the launch. And now that it's, you know, back at home and we're, we're coming into summer and, you know, Big Bear, it does start getting kind of hot. And yeah, it's, it, it's interesting because when you're traveling at low speed, you will see that, that radiant, or not see, you'll feel that radiant heat. Interestingly enough, the engine isn't actually running super hot. You look at the temperature gauge and the, the cooling system is performing admirably. It's just that you get to feel, you know, the, the, the benefits or, or you, get, you get a firsthand taste of how good that radiator actually is. So it's more of an airflow management thing. Yeah. As long as you're moving, it's a-okay. Okay. Um, where I noticed it the most is... Uh, since we were riding in Big Bear, we actually part of this uh, Alpine Stars adventure tour. And 
in different groups we rode around together and um me and another colleague uh kind of became we'll say the for our little group we we just sort of started riding you know lead and 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 sweep and just started kind of working away through the pack and making sure everyone was okay um what i would notice is anytime i would stop or really slow my pace to wait up for someone uh, that's when i noticed the heat and again we're like harping this point but i'm just trying to give context it's not a deal breaker at all it's okay. just the moment you get wind in its hair it's a okay and you can say that of many 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 a motorcycle sure. um, you know obviously if we're going to stick within the brand the aprilia tuono she is not known to be a a cold-blooded animal <laughs> well-renowned well-renowned for uh or fiery temper but um you know <laughs> once you get a a darn near 200 horsepower naked bike i think they're at like 170 plus hp these days right. um in the wind you know that's not a big deal and you know it's the same exact observation here um you know the other things to mention here is that there's plenty of crash protection as an accessory um the stock bash guard that's on it is just kind of a flimsy you know little aluminum or you know thin sheet metal skid plate it's there it'll work in a pinch in terms of you know if you're out whaling and you know you you hit some rocky stuff and it, it's going to deflect a blow but aftermarket skid plates are going to be the way to go for more hardcore off-road riders Prilia also offers accessory crash bars, which our unit was equipped with. Um, because our, our bike was from the Aprilia Touareg 660 Adventure um, program, which is a, a program that you sign up and they do tours and things like that. These crash bars had been tested quite a bit before I got my hands on it. And based on um, you know their, their wear and tear, they hold up very well and protect the bike. Uh, it, they protected precious bits, we'll say. Um, but if I were a hardcore off-road guy, I would upgrade the skid plate first and foremost. And then I'd also buy those accessory crash bars just because I know they'd fit and they work. Uh, so that's a consideration. But if you're not really a hardcore off-road rider, then maybe not. So that's that's kind of the only things there. But again, I think the the handling performance are really top-notch here really indicative of what a middleweight adventure motorcycle should be. And then, um, you know, you have the, the safety net of the electronics, which you can't say for the T7. Of course, the other bikes in the class do have advanced electronics, more advanced electronics because they're IMU supported. Um, now, as we're talking in the 2023 model year, the price has gone up a little bit as things do every year, especially now. Um, so now we're talking at, at base Base price $12,299. And if you want the super slick Indaco Tangle Must color, which is uh, also known as blue, white, and red and gray, uh, it's $12,699. But there's no physical changes between them. Um, overall, super impressive motorcycle. And I'm, I'm stoked on it. So there we go. Terrific. Thank you so much. Appreciate the insight as always. Yeah. Cool, man. Our snippet this week comes to you from Broman, BH 
Roman. You can check out his YouTube channel at Broman Brapsody. He lives in South Carolina, and his moto passion takes him on a yearly cross-country trip in some manic time. This year, he's doing it on his Indian motorcycle, and he's raising money again for the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation, also known as the Ride for Kids. Last year, he raised $12,000, and of course his goal this year is a whole lot more. In our second segment, TJ Adams chats with Ed Stiley of Motomachines.com. Ed's dad approached him about starting a moto business when Ed was still in college, and kind of on a whim, he said yes. Turns out his dad knew what he was doing, and Ed is also pretty switched on himself. Motomachines.com has thousands of motorcycle product SKUs and caters to over 700 models of motorcycles, so... Ed knows what he's talking about when it comes to aftermarket parts. So, from all of us here at Ultimate Motorcycling, we hope you enjoyed this episode. The Yamaha name stands for a heritage of motorcycle performance and classic styling. Visit your dealer to find the 2023 Yamaha Sport Heritage bike for you like the XSR 900, where timeless design meets the sheer power of a CP3 power plant. Or the XSR 700, built to be customized with modern classic looks and cross-plane concept twin performance. For all things Yamaha Sport Heritage, visit yamahamotorsports.com or see for yourself at your local dealer today. I've loved cars, I've loved motorcycles ever since I was a kid. Um, you know, I have loved Top Gear. <laughs> I think that's every motorhead's uh, kind of like come to Jesus moment of sorts of coming to terms with them being a motorhead. Uh, you know, just, I love being out there, love two wheels, four wheels, doesn't matter how many <laughs> wheels. Um, yeah, that's, and that's what led me to, you know, doing this bromance stuff was like, you know, it's a passion project a passion baby of mine, like, you know, during COVID, I had a lot of time on my hands. I was like, let's, let's put it to some good use. Let's, let's, let's change the dream. Let's follow a passion. Let's do this. So you started recording for Broman and putting YouTubes up, YouTube videos. Yes, YouTube videos out, yeah. That's where I saw you're going on a a big ride soon. Coast to coast here in America. Coast to coast, yeah. So I'm going from the East Coast. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'll be going from North Carolina all the way to the West Coast and back. Um, this is going to be my second year doing it. I did one last year as well. Oh. Uh, Raleigh to Santa Monica, uh, California and back. And I did about 8,300 miles in 18 days. So it's really a, a speed ride. You're doing it for to cover the miles. It's not a scenic view. No, it's a mix. It's a mix of both. So I have... I have to take high, uh, the highways and freeways to get to some cool, cool spots. Uh, like last year, I went and I did the Million Dollar Highway, did the, all the little loop of uh, Colorado, uh, went through some beautiful places in uh, Utah. And on my way back, I did Sturgis and, oh, I did the Loneliest Road uh, in Nevada. So it's, it's a little bit of both, a little bit of sightseeing, but a little bit of... Uh, Calling but two because you know you gotta make up for that uh, make up for time. Sounds like a good ride. Sounds like a, a good ride to recommend because you're, you're covering a lot of different um, states, different states, and different places. How long does that take you? Uh, 
It was about what an eighteen day ride that started off on last year was June twenty fourth till July tenth or something like that. And that's there and back. I'm just thinking if people take time off work to do a coast to coast ride. Yeah, yeah, it was there and back. Eighteen days. Yeah, and and the, both these coast to coast rides are actually for I'm riding for kids for the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation. Oh right. Yeah, I'm raising funds and sp- uh, spreading awareness for the Pediatric Brain Tumor uh, Foundation. So last year, my goal was to raise $10,000. Uh, and, and I was overwhelmed, man. I got, I was able to raise $12,000. So I went a little above my, uh, above my goal. And that's all thanks to our, uh, to my friends and the community here, uh, the Rishta to and my YouTube, you know, the, the YouTube followers and subscribers, you know, people, people jumped in, people helped, helped me raise those funds. That's the motorcycling community, isn't it? That's yes. it. And so this year you're you're going again. Yes. And have you managed to get any sponsors for this year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my goal is a little higher this year. I'm going to challenge myself and I decided to push myself. So this year my goal is to go to $20,000 or raise $20,000 for the foundation. And that's for the sponsors, man. Like, you know, I work with a couple of dealerships for my videos. One of them is Indian Motorcycle Greensboro Triad. And the owner, Monty Hendricks, he is an amazing dude. So he went and he helped me get in touch with uh, Indian Motorcycle Corporate. And this ride, it's being sponsored by Indian Motorcycle, uh, the Indian Motorcycle Company and Indian Motorcycle Greensboro Triad. And I reached out to uh, a few other folks and, you know, uh, I'm just blessed and lucky that you know, I got Cardo to, to pitch in, uh, Cardo Systems. Uh, break free will make like that little uh, little LED modular that you put on the back of your helmet uh, to increase visibility. Break free, they jumped in. Revzilla uh, donated some gear uh, to me for the cars, and Voss Helmets helped me out with the helmet. So that's a lot. You've got a lot of interest there. Yeah, uh, that's astounding. And then even in my local community, I have a friend who's a photographer, Lunar Lens. Like she went ahead and she did this. Uh, did a couple of photo shoots for me to put up on my flyers. You're going to be riding this on your own? Yes, I'll be riding solo. I'll be riding my own motorcycle, my 2020 Indian Roadmaster Dark Horse. And yeah, it's a solo ride, just like last year. <laughs> That's good for you. I'm pleased to hear it. All the money now will be able to go directly to research, etc. Yeah, for kids with, with brain tumors. Yeah, and the foundation, not just... It, they do fund research, but they also fund... They also help out, like, you know, families who are going through... Uh, who have kids who have been diagnosed with brain tumor, like help with the financial cost, help them out a little bit with the financial aspect, help with like, you know, counseling and, you know, uh, training. And... So why were you drawn drawn to helping um, th- this charity in particular? Uh, so I've been, I've been uh, wanting to do something with a way to give back to the community forever. Uh, like trying to find a way some way. My mother, like she was an incredible woman. Like she did a lot of cool stuff, like growing up in India. Like she would help out a lot of underprivileged kids. And that's one thing she really incorporated in me was like, hey, you know, you got to give back. You got to help, you know, whatever you have, whatever you can always be out there willing to help. So I was trying to do that and you know, trying to honor her legacy and try to take it forward. But I could never figure out a way you know, how to do it until uh, we had a local like North Carolina Triangle Right for Kids event a few years ago. So when there, I was lucky enough to meet some of these, uh, some of the stars. So the stars are survivors. Uh, children who are survivors of brain tumor and you listen to the stories you listen to their struggles their resiliency and then 
uh, there were like 200 bikers and you know once we started our motorcycles to go on a little ride you should have seen their eyes and faces light up these kids the stars and that just reminded me of well me as a kid and me even now like you know every time i hear a motorcycle or see a motorcycle i'm like oh my god that's a motorcycle <laughs> and that just at that moment it just that just connected for me it's like if i can take my passion for riding and do this and and combine it with uh, with you know, try, with trying to support them and my compassion. I mean, this is going to be this is it. And I'm lucky enough that the folks from the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation saw value in what I'm doing and let me do that. Uh, so, and this is uh, this is my way of giving back and helping these beautiful children. Like you know, you should and help help them lead lead somewhat of a better life. Yeah, we spoke with Ride for Kids actually a few podcasts back, and it is a fantastic thing that they're doing. You know, yeah, um, they were saying it's very different for children with um, a brain tumor than adults, and so it's something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, and because even if because they have long lasting, uh, long lasting effects even after the treatments and stuff. So, and that's something they have to deal with for the rest of their lives. So, any help we can, all of us can come together, and all the help that we can give. I mean, yeah, we are helping kids. Come on. So when do you go on your coast-to-coast ride? I'll be leaving on June the 30th, and I'll be back on July 18th. Excellent. Okay, well, uh, we'll put um, details of your YouTube channel in the notes, and people can have a look at what you're doing, sponsor you if they want to, and just see what you're up to, and maybe you'll inspire other people to do the same sort of thing. Hey, yes, and, you know, that's that's why I started doing this as well, was like, you know, if there are more... Like if I can raise 10,000 by myself and then there's 10 or 20 more of me doing this, yeah. other people doing this, just imagine the kind of impact we can have and the positive impact and the positivity that we can share. So, yeah. Yeah. Marvelous. Good for you. I'm so grateful and I'm really honored and humbled that y'all uh, get, even like y'all thought of giving me a spot. So thank you so much. I mean, really from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. <laughs> it's nice of you to say thank you it is actually warming what you get back once you you start giving and the more you give I mean look at where you are with big companies like well ultimate motorcycling and Indian motorcycles coming to you and allowing what you're raising to actually go full on into the need yeah it's um I've had a I have a tremendous amount of help, love, and support from everybody, and I can't. I mean, <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just. Uh, my heart is so full. So that's great. Well, you seem a lovely guy, so that's uh, all good. What what comes around goes around. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, TJ. I won't take up much of your time. All right, then. <laughs> Thanks, have a good bye. day. Bye, Broman. You too. Bye. Bye. In our second segment. TJ Adams chats with Ed Stiley of motomachines.com. Ed's dad approached him about starting a moto business when Ed was still in college, and kinda on a whim, he said yes. Turns out his dad knew what he was doing, and Ed is also pretty switched on himself. Motomachines.com has thousands of motorcycle product SKUs and caters to over 700 models of motorcycles, so Ed knows what he's talking about when it comes to aftermarket parts. So, from all of us here at Ultimate Motorcycling, we hope you enjoy this episode. The Yamaha name stands for a heritage of motorcycle performance and classic styling. 
Visit your dealer to find the 2023 Yamaha Sport Heritage bike for you. Like the XSR 900, where timeless design meets the sheer power of a CP3 power plant. Or the XSR 700, built to be customized with modern classic looks and cross-plane concept twin performance. For all things Yamaha Sport Heritage, visit YamahaMotorsports.com or see for yourself at your local dealer today. I started motor machines uh, with my dad, Alan, back in like 2011. Uh, so I was a senior in college at the time. And uh, my dad basically pitched me an idea of, hey, do you want to own half a business and study in marketing and business? It was a pretty short conversation. So I just said yes, without really knowing too much about it or what I wanted to do in life. And uh, yeah, I mean, um, there was a little bit of a background story to it, probably um, flipping bikes throughout college definitely helped. And uh, my dad would like lend a hand here or there. Uh, he was a lot more mechanically inclined than I was. Uh, somebody that just never really needed to read the shop manual or anything like that. He just knew things. Uh, so I think there's one time where there was like a, a stuck piston in a cylinder and he just showed up with some dry ice uh, to help get it unstuck. And that was just things that you don't read about really in a, in a shop manual. So that was, was really helpful. And um, yeah, so that was kind of the start. And the next step or our first business uh, act was showing up to uh, Dealer Expo in Indianapolis. And that must have been, I was back in 2011 when trade shows were rampant with uh, a lot of spectators being the people attending uh, from both sides, the sellers and the uh, customers. Wow, Motor Machines. That's a great name as well. Um, so you now supply um, parts for uh, 700 motorcycle brands. So it's extensive. I mean, there must be something for everybody who comes to your business. Yeah, so that really helps uh, with the first brand that we took on. It was Hepco and Becker. It's a, a German uh, family-owned company, and they make luggage and protection for all sorts of different motorcycles. So uh, it's really helpful if you have a BMW S1000RR, for example. You can outfit that with luggage, um, or you have your more typical uh, Honda Africa Twin adventure motorcycle and that's going to have a set of luggage as well. Uh, but that company really uh, got us rolling. Uh, we found out that if we didn't offer everything uh, that Hepco and Becker offered in our catalog that they have in their catalog, the customer would find it. So we just had to make everything <laughs> they, they had readily available. Great brand to start with as well. They're really good quality. And of course, adventure bikes now are huge and they cover that market completely if you need anything for your adventure bike i should imagine everybody comes to you guys yeah we get a we, we see it all um we started out with adventure uh motorcycles and i went to the track one time and uh kind of ventured a little bit more into race oriented products as well so uh we really just um have added products and brands that we ourselves ride with or we ourselves enjoy yeah, that's a great thing. You are actually end users yourselves. So that makes it um, more meaningful 
Yeah, I was just I was listening to um, the podcast you did with the the Yamaha Riding School. Uh, it was it was very cool to see. It was it was interesting, definitely. Um, so you think you're gonna go be going back to the track then? Oh yes, yeah, I loved it, and just the environment. I mean, I'm I'm gonna bore the pants off you by saying how fantastic it was because I learned so much, and anybody can go and and they'll learn from those guys. And of course, you know, you're meeting some really cool people and getting to make friends with them. That's the other thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it always amazes me. The people that do it multiple times, it's uh, going to a school, the same school, and they just get so much fun out of it. And they get to work on a different technique when they go racing each time. So that's really cool to see. Yeah, for racers. But, I mean, yeah. it's incredible because you are there with actual racers. I went round um, as a pillion on the back of Isaiah Davis. Oh, my God. That would scare the life out of me. He didn't hold back. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, it was a bit weird because I, I normally, if I'm a pillion, I sit really close. Um, I pillion on the back of my husband, Arthur Coldwells, who, who is the founder and owner of Ultimate Motorcycling. And he's really fast. He would say he's not so fast, but he is really fast, even though he's mature now. <laughs> um but oh, yeah, you are mature. But Isaiah Davis, he was like, I think he thought I was getting close because I was a bit scared. I'll never explain this to him. But he was like, no, sit back a bit. And, you know, off we went. And I was back a bit as well. And we were just so fast and so low. I mean, it's a racetrack. So obviously he wasn't thinking out about traffic or anything. And that's the thing. When you're on the track, you can just do what you like. My God, it was such an exciting experience. <laughs> In the same way that I wouldn't agree to jump out of a plane i think i wouldn't want to be on the back of a motorcycle uh but, but i just how how are you sitting back there because i thought you just imagine just being close to to the driver and just holding on for dear life well you are you're kind of doing both you're back a bit i mean yeah i had to hold on to him but i could just about get my hands to the tank so you're kind of you're going with it i mean you get a centrifugal sort of pull of force that keeps you on with the machine it's only if you try and do the opposite to what the machine is doing that you end up in trouble i suppose you, you would just fly off the bag <laughs> but you have to grit and go with the fear yeah and, and trust it you I'm have just to imagine really a big old bear hug yeah the whole it time. is like a relaxed bear hug but but you're you're that it's also part of the learning curve and lots of the guys that went on the back as well because you realize what the bike can do and when you're glued to the track because of the speed and the, the braking techniques into the curves and you go with it you end up you're just you're just one you're just kind of glued to the bike because of the physics I guess it is scary I mean because you're not in control yeah that's that's the thing that's what I was about to say is like if it's one of those things about driving a car I have no problem driving really fast and thinking that's normal driving but when somebody else is doing that and you're the passenger it's really scary because you have no control yes you have to really trust whoever you're doing within the environment yeah even you see those videos with f1 drivers and they drive each other around the tracks and whoever's in the passenger seat is always gripping on for dear life yeah because minuscule things are being done differently to the way they would would do it yeah and on the edge for one person is a different on the edge just because of a different technique not because they're a faster driver but uh, yeah, that would be nerve wracking for professionals who drive for a living. <laughs> Those Formula One guys, they make me laugh because to me, they're, they're all kids anyway. You know, you hear them chatting away. It's just hysterical. 
one example that we have to show like how we have a different type of product from other people is uh roto packs is a, a gasoline pack that you can mount on your motorcycle if you're going off into the desert just to make sure you have enough fuel to get back wow. so when your tank runs out you can throw the roto packs uh fuel in there into your tank and then you can know that you can get back home or wherever you're based and uh, one product we have is a attachment plate from Hepco and Becker. And it's a plate that can attach to their already made SIBO system. So it's a side carrier they already have. And they just made an adapter for the Rotopacks. And when I was questioning them about it, uh, they responded and said, oh, we don't need these in Germany. And I was kind of confused, like, well, why are you going to make this? Um, and it turns out that they have enough gas stations in, in Germany where you're not going to find yourself in a situation in the U.S. where you're just driving through a uh, desert and you run out of gas all of a sudden. Yeah, that's a great point. You don't really consider that when you think oh, motorcycling overseas. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I've been there and uh, lived the life and you're never far from a, a gas station for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I remember we had some relatives. Relatives came and saw us in England, in London, a long time ago, and they said, "Oh, you know, we're going to go up to the Lake District, which is probably about three hours from us." And we were like, "Oh, well, you know, that's a long way um, for the New Year." And then they called us to wish us Happy New Year, and we were like, "Where, where are you?" And they said, "Oh, we're in Scotland. We just carried on." So they went <laughs> and did about five hours to them. It was nothing. They'd come from you know a vast country. <laughs> And ended up in Scotland, another country in actual fact. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Just different concepts. So that um, fuel pack, um, that's like a bladder, is it? It's um, Rotopax. It's actually a U.S. company, and they do uh, plastic molded uh, fuel containers. So it's a hard mount that you can lock to your bike for going on a long expedition. Right. So uh, we often see a lot of people just throw it on the top of their motorcycle in the back where a passenger would go. They just replace that with the, a fuel pack or we have adapters where they can put it on the side of their bike with the side carrier. So it just opens them up to being um, a little more comfortable on the bike. And I think that's what we help a lot of people do is just uh, get more comfortable on their motorcycle and make it more theirs so that. Uh, they can go a further, a further distance. Uh, they can enjoy the motorcycle. They can know that it's they're getting the best of what they, they need out there on the road. Yeah, you've probably got a lot of products on your site that maybe like that one that people haven't, well, I hadn't heard of it, that people haven't heard of. And it would make going on an adventure, a longer trip, more um, give you more of a secure feeling, even if, I mean, most people know if they've got a small gas tank and some bikes have got a smaller gas tank but you know the, the, there are probably other things little things that you can just have with you um that make you take the worry out of it make sure that you can get back if somebody in the group's got <laughs> one of each of these items <laughs> yeah completely i mean there's there's things that i never really before getting into this industry i never really thought i needed or, or knew of and one thing is earplugs, and I just feel naked riding a motorcycle without them now, uh, especially if there's an exhaust on the motorcycle, it's, <laughs> uh, it's just deafening now. So that's one thing that uh, we've added along the way, and uh, one thing that I'm not going to be caught without. And they have to be good. I mean, it's, it's a health thing as well, you know, it destroys your hearing if you have that constant noise, especially, even if it's not loud. Um, you know, you can destroy a certain level of your hearing over a lifetime. 
So definitely a good move to wear earplugs. And you can still hear people and do things, you know, have your music on or what have you. It doesn't stop any of that if you're that way inclined, if you have like an intercom communication system. Yeah, uh, completely. I think that's like necessary if you go out on the road and you have some uh, passenger with you or you're riding with a group of people. Uh, it's always good to stay in touch or else somebody's going to miss the exit when you're turning off. Yes, yeah, for sure. And also um, on another small point of safety, my husband had a, a bee go under the back of his helmet and he felt it going up. And oh, no. I'm kidding you not, it was the only time ever he has ridden. It was a short ride back from the Barber Museum to where we were staying. And uh, the bee went into his ear. Now, had he had his earplugs in, <laughs> that would have saved a very <laughs> scary ride for our little puppy who was <laughs> on the back. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you had a bee and a dog at the time then? Yes, yeah, so it was quite the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So what sort of product have you come across that's really surprised you? Have you got anything, any favorites? Yeah, there's a bunch. Um, we import and distribute quite a few different brands. So those are going to be uh, brands that we focus a lot on, but there's going to be uh, just cool little uh, smaller brands. I wouldn't call them little, but maybe like a one or two person shop. And uh, there's there's no putting them apart because they have just a great uh, product that uh, is going to be just like any other larger company's product. Um, th but there's just more to the the brand itself. There's like a soul behind it. There's somebody that will uh, reach out to you and let you know if you've got the wrong image or you've got the wrong picture. And it's a lot more uh, communicative so that we are able to get the information, the correct information to customers as soon as possible. Uh, one of these brands uh, is going to be Raceworks. It's a uh, gear shift support. So it's a, a guy named Dale in the UK, actually. And uh, he makes all these products. And um, yeah, it's it's just amazing that he's been able to uh, start with, you know, one or two products, have a little bit of a following, and then venture out into more and more products. And as you see new motorcycles coming out, like the, the Tenere, 700 the yamaha r7 and then the fz07 the mt07 and uh the same item can fit those different engines so it's pretty cool to see some items how they work for a lot of different motorcycles and that's one thing that we try to make easy as well say hey this fits all these motorcycles um sometimes it, it can be confusing because you have one part that will fit literally like all honda models and you have to clarify that pretty well in the description. Um, and we also do our best to try to like communicate that to customers. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're just really excited about the different products that we carry, very passionate about them as well. Uh, there's, I don't know if you've ever ridden with a, a phone on your handlebar. And one of the biggest complaints about riding with the phone on the handlebar, especially adventure motorcycle, is all the different vibrations that come through to it. So you have a lot of customers or a lot of people just say, hey, man, my phone's broke and literally go through two phones before they uh, realize, oh, maybe I might need a little bit of a stabilizer on the handlebar. And uh, we carry this one brand called Bike Pinar, and uh, it's by a gentleman named Tiny in the Netherlands. And uh, they're, they're GPS mounts that allow you to attach different garments to them, but they have uh, rubber stabilizers in it. And somehow he's figured it out. So you can put this on your phone and have a uh, 
a vibration free mount at the top of it and not have to worry about an expensive GPS being damaged. Yeah, that's interesting. It's not just what you yourself perceive as vibrations. Um, actually, I the, the phones can get upset somehow internally. And I know that Apple have some sort of disclaimer if you've uh, gone back to them and you've you've messed up your phone by going on a motorcycle. So uh, be aware of that. Um, but though it sounds like um, Tiny has got that sorted out. So um, what else has excited you? Uh, grip puppies. So there's foam covers. So they're foam uh grip covers basically put them on your bike so you're going to feel less vibration through the motorcycle it doesn't fix the motorcycle from being buzzy i mean it's basically an engine in a metal uh frame so it's it's going to be vibrating to an extent but the grip puppies help um trick you and, and help your hands feel less vibrations but you don't know what your phone's feeling so it's, it's a good point there is there any any other favorites yeah, so uh, recently uh, we just started with uh, GB Racing, and they're uh, another British uh, company, uh, uh, family-owned, uh, a little similar to ours, but they just happen to be manufacturers and we're uh, importers, distributors. So, wow, yeah, they're they're a very very big company. Yeah, that's a that's a coup. See, that's the thing, though, is like people will think all these companies are are very large, and and to me, it they just they just shrink down um, just to because who I'm dealing with is a father and son team, and that's who we are as well. So it's those are the the people that we're connecting with and talking to. So it's a uh, it's a really strong relationship there. That's great. So they're also a family run business. Wow, and they're a big name. That surprises me. I like learning things like that. <laughs> I was very pleased to see actually that you have a phone number on, on your website. I know that sounds a bit strange, but a lot of companies don't. And it means that you, you know that you can get in touch. It's more of a personal sort of, you know, connection. Yeah, I think that was like one of the first things we did is just put the phone number there. And uh, there's one point where we had a, one of our sales guys say, hey, we're just getting so many phone calls. Can we, can we take the phone number off the, off the main website? I'm like, that's just not how it works. Uh, we're going to get phone calls. We're going to talk to customers, and that's just part of it. That's what we want. Yeah, but. and then you're learning as well because you're getting feedback. Um, that's a big thing. It's really useful for us. It is. You know, we love it when uh, listeners email in saying what they've liked or they haven't liked, and then it, you know, it gives us a guide as to how to move forward and what people hate and what they like to hear. Yeah, exactly. If they have something on their motorcycle uh, that's different from other people uh, and it interferes with the fitment, they definitely let us know. And being a smaller uh, company, we're able to make changes pretty quick. So if a customer calls in and says, hey, I just picked up this new motorcycle and they ch the manufacturer changed the bolt on this or the, the place where it mounts, uh, we can quickly check that and then just make a comment on the actual product and say, hey, it doesn't fit this model year, or we can uh, find another person that happens to have that motorcycle and they can check it themselves and we can confirm, yeah, the manufacturer changed that or uh, unfortunately sometimes go back to customers and say, hey, you're on the wrong side of the bike. <laughs> yeah, that's really useful. <laughs> All feedback is useful. <laughs> and so you distribute um, sorry, I, I just wanted to go back to GB because I know of them because of MotoGP. They supply a lot of things for racing, aren't they? They're, they're, I guess, all bikes, but for me, racing. 
is where the name pops into my mind. Yeah, so we've been getting more uh, into the racing scene. Um, we're still into adventure bikes and touring and all sorts of different bikes. It's really hard to uh, segment yourself um, and, and not sell a product to, to one motorcycle or brand. But uh, now with GB Racing, they are race oriented. It's just what the product is. It's protect the engine. It's to make sure that you can uh, get more use out of that motorcycle. If you go down, you can uh, pick it back up and hopefully that that engine cover from GB Racing did its job or the frame sliders as well. And uh, going back to having one product that will fit different motorcycles, you have the Aprilia RS660 and it's already been uh, a cult bike already. So then Aprilia came out with the Toreg 660 and it's the same engine. Uh, so what GB Racing did is they went out and made sure that that cover that they already had made for the RS660 fit the Touareg 660's engine. And uh, lo and behold, it did, which was awesome because it opened up to a another motorcycle owner. So uh, they are race-oriented, but some of their products do happen to fit adventure bikes, which is pretty cool. Yeah, they do cross over. That is, that's fantastic. I guess they've really got to keep their eye on, on the market, on what's uh, coming out and... Uh... Well, I presume they have a relationship with the manufacturers as well. Yeah, it's good to know. Uh, and the direct line into like GB Racing, if you have a customer reach out and say, hey, do you have anything for that new ZX4 coming out? Uh, you can quickly ask, hey, when do you think we'll have something coming out? And they'll easily say four months and you can get a reply back to the customer in, in real time. Do you have a most popular product? What sells the most? Uh, well, I mean, again, it's the adventure products uh, from Hepco and Becker is what we started Moto Machines with. And uh, ever since there, we've been able to expand our lineup. So um, we've got a number of different brands, but the brands that we're importing now, got a list here I'm going to read down is Alpine Hearing Protection. We have Amphibious, uh, Italian uh, bags manufacturer. Uh, Bike Pinar is the GPS list. Uh, we have Bonamichi Racing, uh, Rear Sets, and things like that. Uh, Get Tidy, Biker Tidy, that's a that's a real cool one. So in the UK, you probably are a lot more constrained with storage. So it's a UK company, but they have Biker Tidy's uh, stands. So if you don't have a place to hang all your equipment, your gear, your gloves, your jacket, trousers... Uh, you can easily just put this up and it's specifically designed to hold your gear. And it's just, it's really cool because it helps organize things. And I'm a big fan of organization. Just keep your life simpler and easier to do. Yeah. Make sure you, you can select what you need straight away if you know where it is and you can get to it. <laughs> Packing is key. Yeah, exactly. Something else that um, has occurred to me and I've heard of is that a lot of parts are being made more cheaply now in other countries and obviously rattling the business of uh, the quality parts that you're supplying. Yeah. So uh, we've seen both sides to it. And um, I don't know if going on a podcast is really going to expose me here, but I, I've been one of those people on Facebook arguing about different product qualities. Uh, so for example, we had uh, somebody arguing about uh, GB race, you know, it's it's made in China and and things like that, and it's really not. It's all it's all made in house. It's made in the UK, family owned. Uh, it's it's a great business to have, uh, and we've seen a couple different people, and just because of Amazon and 
they might just have this uh, big idea that everything's made in China when it's really not. Uh, nothing that we sell, um, none of the, the the brands that we import are. They're all made in house, basically. And yeah, um, so I I was on Facebook and there was somebody arguing about uh, this one product is made in China, and I would come come back and say, no, it's not. It's made in house. And basically what I found out after wasting my time on a Facebook rant is that the person who bought the product didn't, didn't really care for the quality. And, um, and then you have everybody else on the other side of it uh, arguing with you saying, well, that's just a waste to your motorcycle. That's a shame to your motorcycle. It's going to be damaged. So you have both sides to it. But um, from our point of view, uh, you can easily tell the difference in quality between a, a, a GB racing engine cover, which is legit radiator guard or a, a fender extender, for example, uh, all these products, you can easily tell when you pick them up and hold them side by side. Certainly there's a saying, uh, it's really popular in the adventure world. It's buy one, cry once. So the idea behind that is that you might not want to part with your monies uh, so quick, but you can cry once by spending all that money the first time, and then you won't have to worry about it later. Whereas on the other side, if you're buying a product and you find out that it cracks, it breaks, it falls apart, then you're going to have to quite, uh, cry twice because you're going to have to go out and buy the product you should have done in the first place. Yeah, and go through postage and packing and everything again as well. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I guess one thing to, to touch on is, I mean, being in the aftermarket, uh, parts and accessories world is things that you just notice along the way and you'd see that this world is changing to the point where products are a lot easier to be made so what you see now is uh, one motorcyclist making a uh, 3d printed part in their basement and then the next thing you know is that there's this one guy making a 3d printed part that's outselling a part you're selling uh, that's made by uh, a big old company uh, just because those riders are able to get the word out. They have word of mouth. It's uh, it's an easy thing to have made. So you'll see these people have a 3D printing file and they'll share it online for free. And then the next thing you know is that this other rider has a plastic piece that goes up underneath the tail of the rear motorcycle. So none of the mud or dirt debris gets splashed up there i think this is for a tiger 900 uh and i don't really know if this i don't know the context to it but there might have been a, a logo on it uh that is definitely something that we wouldn't have done uh it's really interesting to see people just making these products and making them readily available and for their own riding community and friends yeah, that is interesting. And what was that? It was a tail tidy, did you say? It was a, it was a little plastic piece. So on the Triumph Tiger 900, uh, 850, there's a little piece at the back. And for it's just an open space where water and debris can get into it. And then, then it will get into the back of the, the motorcycle. And it was just more, probably an afterthought with Triumph. The uh, rest of the bike is great. But one person came up with a idea uh, did a scan of it and got it 3D printed. 
And uh, I think we're seeing more and more of that in other people also yeah. having access to CNC machines and being able to scan a part of the bike on their phone so they can um, scan like a footrest of it. Uh, if they want a side stand enlarger, they can scan that with their phone. And if they're competent or they know somebody else that is, they can go ahead and get that part manufactured. And it's just, uh, the, there's a lot less barrier to making products these days. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. So they can see a problem and then find the fix. And then that's, that's kind of shortcutting away into having something manufactured into creating a product. Yeah. As, as somebody that sells a competing product and it's, uh, you're in two different minds, but then when that person gives you that product, uh, it, it's, uh, it's fun to see. Yeah, I mean, it's going to help people and eventually it'll probably find its way to for you to distribute. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, we had uh, one person approach us with uh, different items and I was I was more than open to it and he's just making them all on the side of his main job. He does uh, CNC machining for a day job and just said, hey, I've got access to this shop and I like building stuff, so I'm going to go into this and... I think the thing he was trying to to pitch us at the time was a GPS motorcycle mount for a Yamaha Tenere 700. And this is a popular bike. So I think we already have like two or three that we sell ourselves. And I was open to selling it as well, uh, just for differences. It didn't work out. I mean, I wanted it to, but you're seeing more and more like that. So if you go out in the market, you'll probably see 10 plus different gps mounts for the same motorcycle and they're all great they're all different clever designs and they all work yeah have you ever seen something yourself that you think you know a problem or a a, a need on a motorcycle that you've thought haha people should be making whatever yeah so on the it's easier to speak of with the triumph tiger 900 because it's uh, the bike i have and on the side of it it's going to make me sound weak, but on the side of it, there's a suspension knob that you have to turn with your hand to adjust the damping. And it's just super stiff for whatever reason, uh, until you use it a bunch of times, it gets less and less stiff, but just the idea to take your phone, scan the side of this knob, and then go and get a piece of, uh, plastic printed, which could extend the knob out. So you don't have to stick your hand into this little crevice where you can't get any leverage on it but have it come back out this little plastic extension on it and really get some power behind it and adjust the suspension. Cause this is a five, 600 pound bike that you're trying to adjust suspension on. And it's not easy. And if you're doing it on the fly, you've got your gloves on as well. I don't know if you are, but it's interesting. I mean, manufacturers try everything they can and they test and we do long tests on motorcycles, but it's only when you're using, 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 when you are the end user, you find things like that, things that are just annoying and making life difficult. But, you know, when you're, you're making a whole motorcycle, it's going to be hard to sort out all those sort of glitches. Yeah, going back to the, the phone number on the website, it's, uh, it's great. And we have customers that easily call us if uh, they run to any problem. And of course, we're going to walk them through it. And it's they it's one of those things like, even myself, if I'm having trouble installing something, uh, sometimes it might just take uh, an extra five minutes, and we just help the customer walk through it. And they're easily able to do it. Um, if you buy something that's going to be a knockoff or something like that, 
uh, it, there's just there's no chance there. Yeah, you're high and dry. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk a bit more about motorcycles as well in general because um, I was just really interested in your company side of things and now it's sounding like an infomercial, but hey, we don't mind. We like to just let people know what's going on in the motorcycle world. So are you an adventure rider yourself or are you, you know, cutting through canyons or how's your, your motorcycling gone? What are you riding yourself these days? Yeah, so uh, back when I was flipping bikes, motorcycles to start out with, they were BMW airheads. So uh, R75s, R90s, uh, and this was like 1975 year models. And that's really how I got into to motorcycling. Uh, my dad had a Yamaha FJ1200 growing up. So that was always uh, parked in the garage and would always see that uh, going in and out of the house and go off on that. So the, the bug was there from an early day. And uh, I think after college, the first bike I picked up was a, a Yamaha Super Tenere. It was uh, Yamaha's uh, first big adventure bike trying to challenge the mighty R1200GS. And uh, there's a lot of excitement. Yeah, there's a lot of excitement for it. And um, <laughs> the Yamaha Super Tenere is like one of those products uh, so I went to a dealer show and they had a winch that you could buy from Yamaha on the back of uh, the Super Tenere. And you just didn't see any other motorcyclists doing that, any other manufacturer doing that, which was pretty cool to see. Uh, but yeah, so started with the Super Tenere and then uh, got into different motorcyclists, uh, different motorcycles. Uh, the BMW S1000R is something that I picked up and uh that was a cool bike because the idea behind that was uh, this is a motorcycle that you can do everything with. It was a multi-tool, basically. So you could go to a track day one weekend, and then the next weekend, you could uh, fit it out with a set of luggage and go off on a weekend adventure. So that was that was the idea behind that. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Um, how nice that you've uh, got such a cool dad. He's introduced you and fully immersed you in the motorcycle world. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, one of his early stories about motorcycling was an aerial square four. And uh, I really had to Google that one because we don't have, uh, I mean, I don't think the brand's made anymore, uh, but it was a, a British brand. So I had to, to really Google that and find out how cool was my dad back then? What type of motorcycle was he riding? And uh, it was just funny to see. Then you were suitably impressed. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's quite strange how we just think our parents haven't even had a life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you become an adult yourself and you realize, oh, they also have a life. <laughs> and they were right about so many things. <laughs> oh, yes. What was the last long, uh, last long-term review bike you had or the joy of riding? <laughs> well, I've been riding um, the bike that I took on the Yamaha Champs Riding School, that XSR 900. It's a Yamaha retro styled Yamaha. Um, and so we rode around um, Sturgis, not at the Sturgis event, around Sturgis, um, Dakota on that, some beautiful roads there. So um, that one we did um, the first glance, first fast first look article and then we did the, the long ride test on that 
So this whole this whole time, I thought it was going to be like a Yamaha R7 or uh, a Yamaha R1 you're going around the track with, and it's a it's an XSR <laughs> 900. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. That's that is one of those bikes that are able to do do it all. So take it on an adventure one week with some luggage, and the next week take it to the track. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a very versatile bike, and it's really attractive. And for me, importantly, I can get my feet down. The adventure bikes tend to be quite high for me. I'm 29 inch inseam. Yeah, it's and like... it it's dreamy. It just does what you want it to do. Um, I'm not as strong as some guys because I'm a gal, <laughs> and so I don't have to fight with it. My personal bike is an MV Augusta Brutale, an 800 MC. <laughs> oh, those are pretty. And it looks fantastic, but I certainly don't get the best out of it because <laughs> I'm not. Um, a hard rider i don't really make a meal of it yeah that's one of those things when uh getting some motorcycle riding that's you think you need the biggest and the baddest motorcycle and then you go out for a ride and uh if you're going around town you find out that uh, a yamaha r1 might be a bit much yeah um, and have you ridden with your dad one of the first rides i went with him on uh i had he had a yamaha fj 1200 so I thought uh, I'm I'm going to go out and get a Yamaha. So my first bike was a YZF 6R, and Yamaha's nickname for that was called the Thundercat, uh, for whatever reason. And uh, it was it was a great beginner motorcycle. I think it was uh, more of a touring version of the R6 at the time. I think it was like a 1998 or 2002 uh, year bike, and. Um, yeah, so went out on a a few rides with my dad, and um, being in Virginia, we'd go up to uh, Point of Rocks, and there'd be a ferry there, and you can take that over and go into Maryland, Route 15, and it'd just be uh, country roads and farmland, so it was really nice and safe, and it was good times, and uh, that first bike uh, just, uh, we lost that first bike, so... <laughs> Lost, lost it. it so um <laughs> that's a very cool first bike you must have felt like the bees oh, yeah. i mean but a lot of people managed to hang on to their first bikes I wish I did. or get back and repurchase them yeah um i think my dad sold his fj 1200 because he had to clean out the carbs every time he wanted to ride it and it was just the ethanol i just kept getting into it but the the yzf that i had was a new neighbor just moved in and said uh, he doesn't ride anymore. Do you want to buy this motorcycle? Cheap. Of course, I'm going to say yes. Bought the motorcycle. And a few weeks later, I don't even think I had my license at this time. Maybe it was just a learner's permit or something like that. But a, a car stopped waiting for a bicyclist to go across. So I hit the motor or hit the, the motorcycle, hit the car and uh ended up being in the hospital getting my leg cleaned out of all the different uh gravel there and you just find out that i, I feel like everybody you talk to about motorcycles just has a story of um somebody that crashed or somebody that happened to go down and you just wonder why there's not more positive things like oh i was going down the pch route one in california it was a beautiful serene ride uh, the first thing they talk about is, oh, my friend, he uh, he scraped his leg up really bad. Yeah, it's funny, human nature, isn't it? People love to look at disasters or they'll go to headlines that are unpleasant or salacious. As you say, I mean, good news isn't 
something people immediately talk about. Bad news travels fast. <laughs> and that's what puts a lot of parents off allowing, if they're not motorcyclists themselves, allowing their children to ride. And really, it's a case of like, from my point of view, because I'm the perfect parent, of course, I would think, <laughs> and I have three boys and they all ride, you really have to put in front of them the safest way of doing something because people have disasters doing all sorts of things in life. And yeah, motorcycling has risks, but so so does a million other things. You just have to make yourself as safe as possible. So wear the gear, get some training, proper training. <laughs> I, like a lot of people, was just put on the motorcycle by some mates and told what to do and where to go. And of course, you let the clutch out and off you go. You don't know how to stop. A lot of people just let the clutch out too quickly and sharply and crash into something and don't try again for another 10 years <laughs> so I hear all these stories um and you know maybe that's what happened with you maybe you didn't know how to brake safely you sort of grabbed the brakes instead of you know being aware of what was happening and what to do in that split second that emergency stop situation um so make yourself as safe as possible if you're starting to learn yeah I buy yourself an online course from <laughs> Yamaha Chance Riding School. I agree 100% there. I think one of the, I took a a in-person course with the BMW Riders Academy out of South Carolina. Good. And the bike that they gave us was uh, our our 1200 GS. And yeah, it was huge. And, um, but it's got a really low center of gravity. So it's not as uh, challenging as you think it would be. But just like you said, uh, maybe I didn't know how to brake. I was, I was a new rider. But going to this course, I think two or three years later on, one of the things that I teach you is uh, evasive maneuvering. So even on an mm. adventure bike, they take you out onto a racetrack and they say, all right, we want you to go full speed at this object. The object's a car. Just, just had to put one there for me. <laughs> and uh, they said, all right, this can be really counterintuitive. But what you have to do is you have to move the steering uh, to the right so you can break the direction and then move it to the left. And that way you can quickly serve out of the way of the object or the car in this case. And uh, you do that once or twice and they just keep telling you to go faster. So you become more and more familiar. And then, you- yeah, which as you say, is not easy to do because you don't want to be riding towards something at high speed, but um, you know, you're on a track and you're there to learn and that's the best place to be learning such things. Yeah. Not easy at all, but you know, going out there on the track, whether that's a adventure course off on road, it definitely makes you a better rider on the street, more aware of your surroundings. Yeah. Um, maybe a bit of um, maturity comes into it as well. When you're, when, well, for me, when you're young, you'd kind of, you're invincible and you don't imagine the worst and you just are keen to try things i mean when you're a teenager i had a little um yes 185 and i just like zipped through london on that i used to ride to work on it every day i, I worked up in in town I had no fear yeah i've definitely <laughs> gotten more cautious as the years are, are going up so you go out riding with uh, friends now or you still ride with your dad uh he's taken a, a back seat to ride and his thing is British cars and uh I'll, I'll try to get out there uh different groups to ride and uh I prefer going on like a nice quietly sort of like adventure riders and it's you'll go out with different groups to to different areas uh locally and then if you can get out to the track that's something that I've been wanting to do more and more 
think last year uh, I only managed to get out to the track once, which is terrible. Uh, so I need to get back out there, and uh, I've got a, a, a Triumph Daytona 675 uh, waiting for me. Uh, just just needs to be ridden, needs to go out on the track. So that's my uh, 2023 resolution this year is to get out on the track a lot more. It's good. You've got a plan so you can make it happen. That's the thing. You've got a goal, and you can start step by step. So you've got the bike. I mean, that's a big step. Yeah, we had a... We had a guy that was really, really into track, uh, all he would talk about. And uh, uh, through him, we had uh, Triumph Daytona, and we did a, a little bit of a YouTube uh, series with a Daytona 675. I think that was a 2008. Uh, and then another 2012 model, the next iteration. And uh, they would go out to the track, talk about the different products, about how to install a product so that the customer would know, hey, you can add this to the, the bike and this is how you do it. But also get a little bit of fun out of uh, having a job in the motorcycle industry, getting out there on the track. Yeah, you can you can um, work your way into it. Definitely. It's a sort of hobby or or lifestyle that is available i mean it's not as expensive it is expensive but it's not as expensive as buying a, a a car and racing it for instance yeah i think the the cost is a little bit less i was still very shocked at how much it cost to get into it i think i one of my first track days was like back in 2012 and this was back when uh you had agv sport uh still uh there and one of the things that the track days, you can just show up, you can rent leathers, you can rent boots. And that made it a lot easier to get into the, the track world. And then after two or three times of going, you're, you think, okay, well, I'm just wasting money on renting. Then you buy a suit for a few hundred bucks and then gloves, and then you need oh, a race helmet. So the, the more you spend, uh, the more time you spend at the track, I think, uh, the more use you're going to get out of all that expensive gear, which is uh, key safety gear. That's it. It's, it's an investment, but you're going to get use. And lifelong, I mean, unless you put on a load of weight or something, if you buy a suit, you've got it for life. Yeah, um, I definitely bought a size up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a good plan. <laughs> definitely. And I think um, when you're buying a motorcycle, I think really, in my opinion, you have to consider the gear as part of the motorcycle purchase but then you've got your gear to keep as you change motorcycles um but i would urge youngsters listening <laughs> i sound like such an old giffer you know when you're buying your motorcycle consider the gear and your training as part of the purchase of your motorcycle yeah i couldn't agree more and that's just one thing is just an afterthought always is and uh you see people out there just riding with tennis shoes and until you're like me and you go down in a pair of tennis mm. shoes, you realize what you could have had, uh, with the, you could have had so much less damage if you were riding, the, uh, wearing the right gear to start with. Yeah. Even you can borrow it Yeah, get going, you know, you're bound to have mates who've got something sitting in the cupboard for a season and, uh, but yeah, be as protected as possible because the accidents aren't caused by yourself. It's usually something else that happens. It's never, it's never my fault. Never the motorcycle, <laughs> never the motorcyclist's fault. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was convinced when I, when I had my first crash, I was convinced it was the other person's fault. Uh, probably reality. I was probably going a little too fast and just 
didn't uh, see the guy ahead of me? Well, strange things happen. I mean, I have slid off the back of a motorcycle. I've been a pillion on a wet road, go around the bend really low, and, and literally, you know, the bike slid away, and so did I. And if you haven't got gear on, you're just in your tennis shoes and a, a pair of just everyday trousers and not protective, then, you know, you get a lot of damage, which is unnecessary. Yeah, proper gear always. They have uh, a saying, at yeah. GAT. Uh, yep. Yeah. Very familiar. All of the gear, all of the time. Yeah. Just put it on. I mean, it's part of it. It's part of the look. It's part of the culture. So I'm quite proud. You know, you turn up at the pub and you're dressed in all your bike gear. It's cool. Uh, it's, it's way of life. And if you're on the back, you can have a few beers. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks for your time today. I know you're busy. And uh, thank you again for the time. Uh, hope you have a, a good time at Coda there. Thanks very much. All right. All right. Take care. Have a good day. Thanks, Ed. Bye.